Welcome to Sufficiently Black, the podcast that explores what it means to be comfortable in your blackness. I am one of your co-hosts, Kia Swin, and I am here with Amari Pollard and Janae Prox. We got it right. <laughs> um, yeah, welcome, guys. Um, as a quick reminder, the Discord is always popping, so please join us on Discord for some fun conversations. And you can follow our socials at sufficientlyblk on IG and Twitter. And yeah, I'm no longer going to spell that out because, as our friends from yesterday said, if you cannot spell sufficiently, then shouldn't be contacting us um and yeah so what's new with you guys new or what's going on what's happening <laughs> what's the tea um i went to philly this past weekend and i feel bad for never really considering philly as a viable city to live before this moment you know Janae has made it clear that New York City is the best city in the world. And for a long time, that was where I was Zoom focused on. But Philly is a cool place. Um, I got to... I walked a lot. Um, I left New York and I forgot how to move my legs, so I was it was a struggle. But it's a cute it's a cute place and rent is more affordable. So now I'm on my very short list of places I would ever consider to live. I have now put Philly there too. You are not alone. Ooh, are you going to Philly too? I okay. So my <laughs> best friend Sarah is like Philly, 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 Philly. And actually, I visited Philly in I think 2017, late 2017 or early 2018, and I liked it. Um, and then my best friend Sarah visited, and now Amari visited. Kia, you've talked about your sister living there, and it just seems like people are giving Philly some good wrecks. So I'm kind of like, maybe I need to travel to Philly soon. Like, maybe that needs to be on my 2022 travel list. I feel like Philly, so I agree that New York is the best city in the world, but I think people confuse that with New York being the best place in the world to live. So I feel like New York is like, it's kind of like if you were to live in Hawaii, you might not think Hawaii is the best vacation spot because you're there all the time, you know? It's like once it loses that nuance, like I still think New York is still the best place in the world because like everything is there, the energy is unmatched, and there's a lot of things that you just can't describe on paper that happen in New York. But yeah, living there, I would never consider because I'm like, if I lived here, I would hate it. The the subway sucks. It smells like shit. Uh, people suck sometimes. People are great sometimes. But I don't know. I feel like people are always like, ew, New York. But it's like, no, New York, but like in doses. New York is a... New York is a vibe. And I think what I liked about city is uh, city. What I liked about Philly is that I could like sense certain parts of it. Like I was like, oh, like this street reminds me of Brooklyn. Like, oh, this vibe right here. It, it's like it's not New York. Like nothing will ever be New York. But like it could satisfy me enough where I'm like, OK, rent is not the cheapest, but it ain't like at New York's level. It's more affordable. It's just basically like a step more like a step down but you know like just lower like everything is just a little bit lower (laughs) i agree with that and there are black people there so that's always a plus Mm -hmm. and that's something that like i'm looking for in my future i love new york don't get me wrong y'all know i love new york but i do not think that new york is like doable long term unless i'm rich because i just feel like new york in order to be 
the most comfortable, you have to make a lot of money. And New York comfortable isn't the same as comfortable other places. New York comfortable is having an apartment that you love, but still knowing that you're going to have to climb six flights of stairs every day to get to that apartment you love. You know, it's it's something like that. Or that you could be priced out or you have to deal with a shitty landlord or you're going to walk down the street and get yelled at by a homeless man, you know, like. New York is also a place where, like, if you don't have that energy level, it's a little hard to operate, too. That's why they tell you people to go to New York when you're young. Because yeah. it's, it's true. Like, everything is possible, and I have so much energy, and I just want to, like, do and see things. But you reach a certain period of time where it's, like, going out your door sometimes just becomes tiring. <laughs> and walking down those flights of stairs, it's a, it's a wrap for me. I'm not I, doing it. It's not friendly to older people and the disabled. It's I not think, a disabled friendly place. Guys, I think that I have, like, knee problems have always been a possibility in my future because I'm six foot tall like duh but the shit's getting bad bro I think it's combination with me like jumping rope and just walking up and down these fucking four flights of stairs my knees have never hurt more than ever it might get better with when you keep doing it um, like that's it what everyone's like been saying, but it's that's been a lie. like go two, to PT, three months. My, my knee be hurting forever. I need to go to PT. Like people have been saying that to me. People are your just knee like, be slowly you're, tearing. Exactly. People are just like, oh, you're just, just you're being, not ready. Honest, as a person, as a person with like no meniscus, has a torn <laughs> ACL. So who I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm on my way to tearing that same ACL because I did not properly PT it. I'm telling you, Janae, focus. You got a trainer? Focus on those yeah. knee exercises and strengthen the muscles around them knees. Yeah, he, he, my trainer told me that. He said you should really get a gym membership so you can start focusing on strengthening the muscles around your knees. And that's on me. I have to do it. But I don't think it's like you just have to get used to the movement. No, I've been working out regularly for like two, three months now. And that's it fair. seems to only be getting worse. And I'm kind of like... What it's the like hell? You're mostly focusing on the muscles in your legs. That might be the ones getting stronger. Yeah, I'm doing a lot of I'm doing a lot of like squats, a lot yeah. of jumping rope, a lot of lunges. That jumping like rope will mess you up. You jump, land. Yeah, that's not necessarily strengthening the knee muscles. Mostly helping on the leg. Um, yeah, like the I'm thigh not a professional, and booty. But yeah, I, I know slight a little bit in my Pilates training. Um, but the I, Pilates I, training one's the next one gonna be Kia. Okay, <laughs> I was thinking that, and I'm like, damn, I wonder if people are waiting or if they're just like, fuck Kia. You know, it's just, was, you know, it's me, and my mama. We ready? I've, I've been, pla- I've been, I'm working on it. I've been, I did part of the workout today, so it's it's getting there. But bro, I'm telling you with with um daylight savings coming it's hard for a bitch to wake up i'm not gonna lie i'm sorry but this is gonna help you (laughs) bitch it's gonna help you and it's gonna help me because honestly i feel i'm like yeah like leading up to my i don't want to wake up for 10 a.m for kia and these pilates but when i do it i'm like oh i feel good and then it's it's struggle like me getting up so i'm i try to do the workout before work and i have to be on at nine oh that's early yeah but so i try to wake up at seven but when i look out and I see darkness I'm like it's a wrap I gotta go back to bed and then I'm an hour late because it takes me an hour to get up because that's when the sun is up then I gotta walk my dog and then I'm like damn you gonna be late again and I, I it's just it's been hard with daylight savings and I I don't like to do the narrative of like I'm 26 I'm getting old but bro this past weekend I felt 100 I'm not gonna I lie. don't <laughs> I don't blame you Kia this week 
So my period has been doing that annoying thing where like she acting like she coming for an entire week, like for an entire week. She like, up, up, up. And it's like, bitch, you know I'm not pregnant. I ain't doing nothing Fun with fact, nobody. You can still have your period when you're pregnant. So don't let that. Thank you, Amari. Thank you, Dr. Amari. But listen, I was like on Tuesday. I was no on on Monday night because I work out Tuesdays and Thursdays. I was like, maybe I shouldn't go work out. Maybe I shouldn't do it. Waking up at 8 a.m. I don't know if I can do it. (laughs) I finally pushed myself to do it. Did I feel better? No, I was exhausted all day. But I guess I'm kind of happy I did it. I don't know. Happy I kept my routine. I, feel I don't like know. Someone the other day was trying to tell me I should really research this about something about like your levels when you're on your period that actually is better for you to exercise. Oh, one hundred percent better. Of that, um, I thought it was opposite too, but I, I need to look up further because you know you just can't be trusted when people tell you. But my I was theory, like, this is interesting. I have a theory. Whenever I am sick or on my period, it is best to be as active as possible because I feel like when you're sad or when you don't feel well and when you sit in it, it makes you feel worse. So my theory is like if I don't have a fever, then I'm going to try to be up in Adam George McAdam. I'm going to try, but I physically can't do it with the cramps sometimes. Like I'm just like, I'm in pain. That makes sense. It makes sense. I think what's interesting too is like when I think back on like my lacrosse days and tennis days, I don't know if that like exercising on my period made me feel better or if it was that there was something else to focus on versus Mm. like the pain. But I think it's also different when you're doing that high level of exercise, like sports and someone's yelling at you versus like being in my living room and like doing some crunches because I can easily roll off. <laughs> he is yelling at you. <laughs> yeah, I can easily roll back into bed. <laughs> uh, that's great. Um, I want to talk about the interview a little bit, but I just want to say that, okay, when we started the podcast, I mentioned that it was cutoff season and it's cuffing season. And I just want to say, I feel like I made a lot of progress on the cutoff season. It's uncomfortable. Not going to lie. But I, I'm, a, I'm like 90. No, I think I'm like 95% on my cutoff list. And I feel good about it. So I just want to say that. He is an assassin. Listen, pew, pew. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, maybe I'm doing too much. But I'm like, nope, I'm not. This is great. And I, I have. Really it. I have something to say kind of on that front, too. Yes. Y'all know how I constantly be crying about love and romance and uh, 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 blah, 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 whatever. Um, This is going to sound crazy, weird, funky, stupid, but hear me out. I saw a psychic and she read my cards and she basically told me to calm down, like calm down because it's all going to happen for you. And ever since that happened... Did you ask me, like, when you went patient, We could talk, we could talk, we could talk, we could talk. I ain't got to tell everybody my cards, all right? (laughs) Hey. But she basically told me, like, it's going to happen. Like, not now. You need to focus on you. That's That's what the game plan needs to be. You need to focus on your health, be aggressive about your career. You are on the right path. But it ain't going to love. That's in the future. In a few years, just wait on it. In a few years, <laughs> and I was like, "Be me, bitch! Hurry it up!" I know. I, I felt. I felt a, a little but bit like a few could be a lot. 
because it's like no, it is, wasn't. It a few, it, is it two it, years or is it it's like a couple seven i'm years? sorry it's a couple because okay. a few is three a few yeah. is three okay, so, so it's like it was two a couple years. yeah and i was like okay it just it made me feel and it could have been pure bullshit could have been pure bullshit but was i don't she know black fortune teller she was white she's white it's okay. Um, some of the white ones are okay. You gotta you gotta suss them out. I have a white one. She <laughs> knew some things that she had no ability to know. I did not make small talk with her. I did not chat with her beforehand. It was very quick because a friend and I were just out um and we ran into the psychic shop and my friend was kind of like, I've been in a weird place lately and I feel like things are weird. So do you wanna do this? And I was just kinda like, hmm fuck it and it was just a shop that this woman um runs with her daughter it's been in their family for generations and i was just kind of like okay let's do it and they ushered us in sometimes you need that yeah it was like i said it might be bullshit but it was just kind of self-assuring to have someone unrelated to me that doesn't know me or my shit to say calm down shit's gonna work out just focus on you for now. As long as you feel it, that even if it was bullshit, as long as you take away like feeling better yeah. about it, I think it's I think it served its purpose. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It made me feel really like I don't need to focus on that right now. I've been focusing on it for so long and it never worked out. So why focus on it? I feel you. you. Know? So I'm feeling very zen. Oh, it's a good season. Y'all not ready for Sufficiently Black, but speaking of love, we are going to get into an interview with, I think it's one of the best interviews we had. Um, we're interviewing Jasmine Diaz from Diaz Dating Group. She has an amazing story just about like quitting her job and like really following her passion and making it a business. But then she also is giving us a lot of insight on dating and a lot of stats. We love a stat at Sufficiently Black. And I think it really helps, especially the black, uh, I don't even know, straight, I guess, woman audience that we have. But I think it. she has a lot of clients that are, you know, mostly black women, um, straight and part of the LGBT community. But I think it's a great conversation. Um, do you guys want to add anything to that? No, I thought it was just interesting to to hear from a matchmaker. I think I was su- what surprised me most was the encouragement of dating apps, particularly dating apps that I wasn't necessarily convinced about. So that I think that was just like an interesting perspective. I also say that as someone who met my significant other on the dating app. But again, I think for like I'm very much aware. Like to me, in my head, that's always been the exception, not the rule. Like rarely do I meet people. And <laughs> if I do, bio is exception, not the rule. <laughs> I feel, like, I feel like every time we talk to Amari, we're like, assumption of the rule. <laughs> Anyways, I was just going to say, everyone that I had met that met someone through a dating app was also not black. They were all mm. white people. So, um, yeah, so I thought that was that was interesting. But yeah, I think I hope I think everyone's going to enjoy this conversation. Yeah, I agree. It was a really good conversation. Um, Spoiler alert, we recorded this first. uh, Well, we recorded the interview first, and now we're recording the intro. Um, And I remember distinctly walking away from the conversation kind of feeling sad um, because some of these stats are heavy, especially for black women looking for love. It's tough out here for us. And we all know that, but it's kind of hard when you hear numbers and facts um but as i said give does she she does give tips too she does give tips and as i said keep your head up 
I think it. I think it, you can partially leave with hopeful, and you can maybe be like Amari and be the exception to the rule. You never yeah. know, you know. Or or it's it's okay to be sad. I don't sad. want this to become my brand. Exception to the rule. I don't like it. It could be your memoir. No one's gonna read that shit. I would throw I that would. shit away. <laughs> like, like, bitch, who you think you are? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I would read that. I love you, Amari, but I would I don't not blame you. Can you imagine exception to the rule with you having a cheese? eating grin on the front like <laughs> but that's, the, I but won. that's the, the, honestly but maybe that's the best business thing i should do because people do eat that shit up they do mm, i'm yeah. telling you i just gave you a million dollar idea i, I mean, hope you don't want <laughs> do you want a percentage if it comes true just two percent <laughs> okay we can do that <laughs> Since 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly 1 million businesses. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're an office sending invoices, a side hustle Etsy shop, or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and standard printer. No special supplies or equipment. Within minutes, you're up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send. And you'll get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from USPS and UPS. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. No traffic, no lines. Cut the confusion out of shipping. With Stamps.com's new rate advisor tool, you can compare shipping rates and timelines to easily find the best option. Save time and money with Stamps.com. There's no risk. And with my promo code, our promo code, P-O-D, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamp.com, click on the microphone at the top of the home page, and type in P-O-D. That's stamps.com, promo code P-O-D. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Thank you guys for joining us. We are here with Jasmine Diaz. And Jasmine, I will let you do like a little intro for yourself for the audience. Sure. Well, thank you so much, ladies, for having me here. Um, I am a professional matchmaker and dating strategist. I work predominantly with Black professional singles. So that covers the diaspora of our beautifulness. Um, so I have been a professional matchmaker for over 15 years. I think I'm hitting 18 at this point. Um, and my clientele pretty much spans the, I, it's pretty broad, I guess you could say. So um, I work with professional singles, um, those that are like athletes and physicians, but also the, my most favorite group is just everyday people who are struggling with dating. Yes. Okay. Love that. We'll, we'll get into that a little later with your clientele, but how did you become a matchmaker? So my story is really interesting because I started out matchmaking in high school. Um, so I've always been one of those long-term relationship type of persons, uh, you know, that just that one that was always with somebody. And because of that, I had a lot of single friends. Uh, my earliest memory is like dating someone in high school that I dated for about four years and just hooking up all of my friends in the process. So that's really how I decided to uh, get my start in it. But, um, you know, like most people who go through that, those particular years, you're still finding yourself trying to find your way. And so uh, Millionaire Matchmaker actually came out in like 
2008, 2009, and I discovered that this is something people do for a living. They can actually make money helping people. So I decided to quit my job um, at, at the height of a recession, which was the stupidest thing I probably ever did. But um, also great because I you know, started this business um, as a pioneer in black matchmaking and um, have been doing this ever since. Oh, wow. Okay. That's really impressive. So you were working like a regular nine to five and then you were just like, I love matchmaking so much. I'm going to start my own business. And how did you like get clients at first? Yeah. So I did exactly that. So, um, it was one of those like come to Jesus moments where I recognized that what I was doing was not what I was passionate about at the time I was actually working, um, in accounting, um, believe it or not. So it's kind of odd job to have for someone like me because it doesn't fit my personality really well but um but I happen to be working for this um company and just you know really questioning where I was in my life at that time um you know always being a person that was a resource um I'm married and at the time I was married um and you know helping my friends casually and just wondering like okay what is the next phase for me so um so one day God spoke to me and told me matchmaking believe it or not and I just followed that voice and so not too long after that, I want to say maybe a month or so, I just quit my job and I had just bought a house and I had just got a new car and I was not really um, smart in that decision because most people wouldn't do those things. Um, but I didn't have any kids at the time and I thought I could take the gamble. Um, and so I quit cold turkey and it was really uh, difficult because I didn't have a plan for how to find clients at the time. So um, so someone actually happened to find me on social media. I made a post at the time. I think Twitter was just coming out. And um, this person found me and she, she was my first client. She happened to be in the UK. And how I continued to grow my clientele was actually through the entertainment industry. So the company I worked for at the time was in the industry and in, in, uh, film and television. So I had a lot of contacts and I used the contacts that I had to just make my way through meeting people, networking. So I did a lot of red carpet events. I met a lot of stylists and they eventually re, re me to other people in their network. So that's kind of how I got my start and how I was able to get my first clients. When you quit your job, this is like a little off topic, but were you around the age of 27? Because I've been reading about the age of 27. That's when people have like these come to Jesus, like life moments. <laughs> Actually, I, I might have been. I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. Okay. Um, we I are might all have actually in that been, you know, what? Look at you. Go ahead, Where, Kia. <laughs> I, I told you. I know it because I've been reading about, I'm 26 now. I've been reading about 27 and it's like, kind of like, you know, the, the age that a lot of like famous people die, like, like uh, Kurt yeah. Cobain. Yeah. <laughs> but then I also was re reading about how like a lot of people have this like, and when we talked to the astrologer, Mecca, she was talking about 27. That's when she went into astrology. And like 27 is like a big number when you like start to change your life. I was going to say, maybe that's just like when clarity starts to set in with like your your wants and, and your desires. You know what it is? It's like the closer you get to your 30s, you start to question where you are. And I think that most people come to that same place. And um, so to your, to your question about age, I probably was around like 28 
at the time, almost 29, um, and, and doing the same thing, like really evaluating like, okay, where am I going? Do I see myself being an accountant for the rest of my life? Like I just have always been a creative and, um, you know, I always wanted to be a teacher and I just never really figured out how I could, could apply that teaching to other people. Um, not recognizing that I was always teaching people about dating and love and relationships. So, so yeah, so that's kind of how that worked for me. And it's been working out well, I gotta say. <laughs> so what are some things that determine match compatibility? Like what are specific things that you look for when you're putting two people together? That's a great question. And it's a little bit broad because what I like to look for when I'm considering people is really like the totality of the person that you are. So what I do that's a little bit different than some of my counterparts is I spend a lot of time getting to know my clients at the very beginning stage because I recognize that every person searching for a partner is, is somewhat looking for the same thing, but they're also very different. Um, and your approach to love, who you are as a person is very different. So where I like to first start is understanding who you are and what your life is like, uh, what things matter to you, you know, what wakes you up and makes you smile, what is your lifestyle. Um, those are the places that I like to go first because really when you're thinking about compatibility, you have to think about who can actually fit with that. So if you're someone who's like an avid runner, you know, and you're real athletic and you're into health and wellness and fitness, you have to consider like what qualities a person has to possess in order to be that for you. So those are the things that I am looking for. Um, whenever I talk to someone, I'm looking for common traits, common values, um, you know, it, common goals is also a really important thing as well, um, because you might be going in one place and another person's going in the opposite direction. And so um, all of the things that I look for are, are those things, asking the client these questions so that I can determine what's a good fit for that. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. We have an audience question that I think is pretty interesting. Um, are people embarrassed about working with a matchmaker? Do you find any of your clients are, you know, trying to keep it on the DL? That's a great question because there are some people who do want to keep it low. Um, and then there are those that definitely are, you know, free to share and shout it from the rooftops. I think a lot of the shame kind of comes from where society expects people to be in their life. Um, people are expected, you know, I think when you're in your 20s and your 30s, the expectation is you already got some kids, <laughs> you know, you have a career that's set, you know, you're making a lot of money and you're happy. And a lot of people aren't there. So the desire to hire a match Matchmaker, I think is one that a lot of people struggle with because financially, you know, I'm not going to lie, it takes some coin to really afford us. But, um, but the other side is, is that it is a real big investment. And for some people, it is a little bit of shame, like I'm not where everybody expects me to be. Um, but then the other thing, because I work with Black professionals, 
I think statistically black people have a problem with asking for help and help kind of comes in many different forms, right? Therapy being one of a, one of them where we don't necessarily uh, want to sign ourselves up for some of those help services and matchmaking happens to be one of them. So if we're thinking about what's taboo, is this socially acceptable? I would say matchmaking falls under that category. So there's you know, a group of people who really have a problem with it. Um, but one thing I have noticed in the last couple of years, just from where I started to where I am now, you know, the shame of matchmaking is starting to dwindle down quite a bit because there's popular television, there's Indian matchmaking. People are really excited about the the position that matchmakers hold in the, in the social construct, I guess you can say so um so some of it is changing but there is a little bit of shame i just wanted to comment really quickly on that um and, and shamelessly plug an episode that we did in the past which was about societal deadlines um and how a lot of times we feel beholden to these things that everyone else is doing and i know all three of us have struggled with that, especially in terms of dating. So I definitely want to say that that's a real feeling that a lot of people struggle with. Like you're so correct. And it's kind of like you look around in your late twenties, mid twenties, early thirties, and you're like, oh, I'm not married or I don't have kids. Everyone else does, dang, you know, so that's, that's real. But I'll toss to Amari next. Yeah, you actually mentioned um, a few matchmaking reality tv shows um is it sorry i I used to watch it is it millionaire matchmaker yeah there's millionaire matchmaker yeah indian matchmaker and there's been a couple of others since then yeah they've been cropping up i think more lately too and i'm just wondering uh well this is actually an audience question is how do you think these matchmaking reality shows influence client expectations (laughs) that's a good one (laughs) Uh, because I think most people have high expectations and I think matchmaking shows don't necessarily help in a way. Um, because if, if we go back a little bit, like Millionaire Matchmaker, I think came out in the early 2000s, like 2005, 2006, somewhere around that. And the perception was, okay, I get my pick of a litter. I hire a matchmaker. I get to, you know, hand select whoever I want. Um, They're based on my dreams and I can just have it. It just magically comes flowing to me. Um, Where that's not the case, I think that's definitely a setup. Some of these shows really paint the picture a little too rosy. Um, But I also think that just just daters in general have high expectations of what matchmakers are capable of. It's not like we're magicians that have access to an unlimited supply of really good looking people that you can just choose from. So you're always having to deal with high expectations, um, but where it stems from differs from person to person, right? So sometimes it comes from television and the vantage point that 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 comes with. Uh, But then there's also just everyday daters who just are really picky. Mm -hmm. I feel like I I always have high expectations. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody does, they just don't wanna admit it. (laughs) Yeah, but honestly, I think, I do think watching Indian Matchmaker, I think because at least in that, there was a decent amount of uh, clients who didn't get matched up. And it was like, that's just something that sometimes happens. Like you bring someone an option and it just doesn't work out. And so that I was like, oh, that's, you know, 
I didn't consider that. And even seeing the way the clients responded, it was like, it still helped them learn something about themselves. So like you still gain something from the process. And that was, I had never thought about it in that way. Um, yeah. If I could say like, what are the things about Indian matchmaking that I really enjoyed was how accurate it was about the client experience for the matchmaker, the picky people, mm-hmm. you know, just, just all of it was very true. Um, it was probably the more realistic show that I've seen in a while, but of course it had its own issues with cast system and colorism. Mm-hmm. But here's what I'll say, even to the fact of how real that is, that's even real for matching for black people. You know, it's like, you're dealing with colorism, you're dealing with size, you know, issues, you know, everybody wants a, a figure two or zero and, and having to combat all of those kinds of things, especially if you're a black woman, um, if you're natural, you know what I'm saying? Versus someone who wears a wig or a weave or flat irons. I mean, these, these kinds of things come up. Um, so it was nice to see it uh, kind of like shown in light on it um, in that way, even though it was predominantly Indian singles, but it is very true for black singles. Okay, so let's, oh, sorry, I was just going to go based off of um, just like talking about how hard, um, just like the process of choosing um, for black singles and like, do you have a hard time finding matches for your, for black clients? Like, I'm wondering how, how that. And specifically black women. Yeah, specifically black women. Because it's struggle bus out here. I was just talking about it. It is struggle central. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I like how you said struggle bus, because I feel that. Um, I will say I'm, I, about 95% of my clients are Black women. So wow, um, that's so impressive. That is, that is my clientele. Maybe maybe not 95, more like 90%. Um, that's a high amount, women. though. Yeah, it is a very high amount. And I find that it's probably going to stay that way, <laughs> predominantly because Black women are more forward thinking about seeking extra outside help and guidance. Like we are the group that will pay for a coach and for support. We will actually pour into ourselves in ways that our male counterparts won't. So um, so it's not abnormal to see a lot of uh, black matchmakers work with women. So, um, so yeah, so in terms of that, I will say the struggle is definitely real, but it is not necessarily difficult for me to find singles for my clients. What becomes a little bit more difficult is finding the right person for that individual because everybody has their own criteria of what they're looking for. Um, And if we look at the landscape of dating and the conversations that are happening right now, one of the themes that I've seen quite frequently is about high value men and what that that all means, <laughs> uh, whether you agree with it or not. And so having to combat each individual's idea of what a high value person is, is where the struggle really comes from matching. It's not finding guys. I find awesome black professional well-to-do men all day. But when it comes to you specifically and what you want and what you find to be of high value and how that person might match up with you, that is the struggle. Is so the high value, sorry. We're all so excited. Yeah, because there's, there's a lot to unpack, especially that mm-hmm. your clientele is 
90 to 95% black women. And you mentioned like a couple of things where like, okay, we're more like forward thinking. And I also wonder if like they're coming to you because they're having the most trouble where their counterparts aren't having trouble like finding people or like really particular about it. Um, but also like what high value are they looking for in terms of like money? Because we also do a lot of stats on this podcast about how black women are like the percentage is more educated in the black community and also making a certain amount of money um, where like it's harder for black women to find their counterpart and, and simply just like education and um, and uh, salary, I guess. So what is like the, the high value that most of your clients are looking for that they feel that they're not seeing or getting? Yeah, so I would say what's a common theme um, is actually something you touched on, which is education is big, you know, um, income is going to be next. Uh, third would probably be marital status. So not just like whether you're single or not, but also like kind of the family dynamics, whether you have kids, don't have kids, want kids, that's a big piece. And then spirituality, believe it or not, is another component. And I think that as black people, we are very spiritual people. What that spiritual means to everyone is different, but I think by and large, we do lead a lot of our choices based on that life. And so um, so when it comes to trying to find someone who's high value, um, you're meeting not just the financial value or the educational value, you're also talking about all the other ones, right? Are they a good parent? <laughs> Do they have like the ability to be a good father, um, you know, to support the family? You know, income is one component of it, but it's also about financial stability um, as being a, a, a piece of it. Do they have have the same moral standards do that I have um you know where do they fall on the spiritual tree do they go to church regularly those are kind of the things that come up quite a bit um so my clients are looking for that they are seeking that and I find that most of my clients are not people who are incapable of finding it on their own but their lifestyle dictates the difficulty, right? Like working several hours, not having time to go out to date, uh, maybe perhaps living in a location that makes it very difficult for them to meet what they're trying to get to. Um, those are the types of people that come to me and most matchmakers. Um, it's not for a lack of being desirable at all. Now, a question I have, how do you feel about the apps, the dating apps, do you feel they're helpful? Do you feel they're completely stupid and terrible and no one should use them? Just what's your opinion on dating apps? I'm a little biased. So okay. here's my story. Okay. I met my husband online. Oh my so God. So I'm going to be celebrating 19 years next month. Aww. So I'm still in my thirties though. Okay. Um, but so my opinion of online dating is that it works and I know a lot of people who have met their partners online. So I'm actually an online dating advocate. However, I recognize that the system of online dating that is today is not where I came from. So, you know, I haven't been on something that's similar to this in that long. So I, of course, understand the struggle is real on these apps. And some of the uh, platforms make it very difficult for you to 
really weed out like the type of person. Um, I think swipe culture has created a situation where people are less interested in finding who you are, like connecting with that individual and more interested in arm candy. So if you're competing with arm candy as a person who maybe isn't that, you know, arm candy like, uh, but still a beautiful person, still, you know, has great qualities, it could just be very hard to compete with that. So I understand that um, for many people, online dating is just not the thing. It's not the wave. Uh, but what I have been pushing lately is um, education on how to use the platforms in a smart way, because I recognize that there are ways in which you can navigate dating online and through apps in a way that gets you to your goal. But I also recognize that some people are just not great at online dating. So I am a little bit in the middle. I'm kind of like, yes, I love online dating, but I also see the, the difficulties. If there were some tips that you could give someone, um, what would those be? I mean, right now I'm on the apps struggling. It's horrendous, horrendous child. Um, and I know our other listeners are too. So if you could just give like quick, dirty tips for things to do for online dating. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I can think about. So um, I actually did a YouTube on this, ironically, uh, this very thing about online dating. First thing is really think about what your purpose is on the platform and what kind of person you're trying to meet. Because every single platform caters to a different demographic. So a couple of years ago, I did a conference called LoveCon. Um, and I'm hoping to do it again soon, but the whole premise of the conference was to help people like navigate online. And in my process of doing this conference, I learned a lot about the different platforms of online dating. So I connected with Hinge and the League and Bumble and found that each single platform's demographic is very different. So, you know, you got the Tinders who have the reputation of being the hookup app. If your goal is to be in a casual relationship, consider which apps are for casual connections. If you are looking for something long-term, think about that as well. And actually spend some time looking at the statistics of these apps. I think where people are, are doing themselves a disservice is they hear from a friend, oh, this app sounds cool. Let me download it. And then they get on it and then they're pissed off that it's not really working for them without actually thinking through, does this app actually serve me in the way that I need it to, to serve? So that's number one, is to think about like what you're trying to get out of your online dating experience. And then second, I would say is once you have an idea of what that looks like and the app you're trying to target, spend some time really cultivating your profile because I've seen many incomplete, no photos, got other people in there, you know, like woke fishing, all of that, you know, happening going on in these apps. And it can be hard for someone to find someone like you uh, if you're not putting your time and energy in some of these um, experiences that you hope to have. So I would say that's probably number two. My last um, advice to give is to give it time. I think we work in a 
space where everyone wants things quick, fast, in a hurry. I want to meet you tomorrow. I want to know if you have potential. Slow down, baby. <laughs> there is, there is no, there is no rush to this game. And I think that those people who want to have someone next to them immediately are the ones that aren't doing as well. But those that take their time do far better. Wait, what is taking your time? Because I, I'm not gonna lie, I was one of those people. I'm like, a week, I'm out. Okay, I'm working on myself. I gave, I tried to give three months. I made it to two and a half months. Very proud of myself again. But like, how long would you like to suggest like talking to someone? Because I'm trying to cut it off like two, three weeks if we're not meeting in person. And also, I, I feel like the mental capacity of online dating is very, very like hard. So I physically like and mentally can't do it past three months. But like. Where do you see the time of like someone who needs to work on their patients? Like what should they do? Yeah, I would think it really comes down to the communication that's being had because if you are connecting with someone regularly um, and you feel the vibe, like you guys are talking, you're texting, you're video chatting, I mean, with all the different ways and you feel like you have that urge to meet, then obviously you could do that, but I would actually say the, those that actually spend their time really getting to know each other before they meet, they have a bit more success, I guess, a better experience because what you're doing is you're building in the time in getting to know this person. And I recognize that for a lot of people, investment is something that they don't want to make, right? You don't want to invest time in something that you feel like isn't going to have a return. I thought that's just like numbers 101. So, uh, so I understand that you're not going to be enthused about actually putting in time. But I think that if you are expecting to have a relationship, it's all investment, no matter how you look at it. It's just which person do you want to invest your time in more than the than the last. So so with that being said, in terms of timetable, think about the person that you're with. If two weeks is your benchmark, then I won't I don't say that you change that. I don't think it would be wise of me to suggest that or push that on you if that's not in your comfort zone. But if you could allow yourself more time to get to know the person that you're with without having to rush, like I think the rushing part is what gets me the most. It's like, I get you wanna be in person and you wanna see something, but a lot of times the person that you're trying to connect, it's gonna take time to warm up to anyway, right? The person that shows up on your first date isn't usually the person you get to know and fall in love with. It's usually many things about them that you learn over time that really connects you. So if you're thinking about that in online dating, it's kind of the same process, but it's different. I get, I, I might be losing you guys. <laughs> I, <laughs> I get what you're saying completely. I think, and it makes, it's so logical. It makes sense. It's the way it should be. And I think a problem that I've run into and a lot of other young people that I've run into is that you're hit with so many choices that it almost feels like if you don't strike immediately, you're going to lose this person. I've been in so many situations where I've been talking to someone online and it's like, we're clicking, things are going well, we're talking, we've exchanged numbers, they seem interested. And then suddenly it seems like as more time goes on, they're less and less interested and it feels like, damn, should I have, instead of really trying to take the time to 
talk on the phone and text, maybe I should have like tried to go on a date with them immediately to get that FaceTime so they didn't lose interest so quickly. Yeah, you know, you know it's kind of like you're fighting against the trends of time, yeah, right? Yeah. Which is everybody's moving quick. They want to get on to the next. So, you know, there's the balance of trying to be that person that is patient, but also recognizing like, okay, this person's going to drop out on me in like 20 minutes or in a couple days, you know? So I understand that piece of it, which is another reason why I think online dating might not work for everyone. Um, and just recognizing like, hey, maybe this is not the forum for you. Maybe you are the one that needs to meet the person in person. And, you know, you connect at the gym and you guys vibe and then you're going on dates. Maybe that's you. And there is no shame in understanding that that is you. But I think that everyone should try online dating at some point because one, if you think about the numbers, um, the the average amount of people that you will actually interface with day to day is so significantly smaller than the amount of people that you will connect with on an app. So, and, and when I say connect, it isn't necessarily people who are messaging you, but just faces, right? You have access to more people. You have more options than you would on your own. Um, so I definitely suggest people to try it, but if it's not for you, you can't force what isn't for you. Um, I also had a question that speaking of apps, you mentioned that you did a lot of, you researched a lot of stats on like which apps are better for which group of people is there a way you can tell us what app is do you think is best particularly for black women then or black people Ooh, look at you throwing out stuff <laughs> you know we love stats here we love it's, stats here okay <laughs> it's tricky because i have seen um that the average dating app like a bumble or a tinder um is not a safe space for black women and hopefully Bumble, Bumble and, Tin, uh, and Tinder do not come at me for saying that, but I, I believe it's so because the numbers suggest that we are least desirable on these apps. So we're not as successful on these platforms. It's just kind of what it is. Um, but there are a, a nice group of apps that are coming up that are catering to black women. Um, I actually have a friend whose app is doing really well. His It's called Real Black Love. Um, and they've had several marriages come out of, um, you know, this app platform and they've been around for a number of years and they come very highly rated. So I would say that's a really good app. Um, but I've also heard great things about Coffee Meets Bagel um, as a platform that um, leads to successful relationships because of the way in which they curate their dating experiences. Um, and the number of Black singles seems to be increasing over time. So I would say those are my two favorites. If I had to pick a third, I would pick Bumble. Um, have either of you tried? <laughs> Ooh, well, we actually have a relationship success story from Bumble. Amara, oh. if, if you want me to cut this out, I will just tell me to edit it. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. I mean, I did meet my, my boyfriend on Bumble, but Kia left out that it was it's been over it was like we met and then like a few years before we actually became official so when you were talking about um earlier taking your time with someone I was like yeah I feel I'm not taking three years though I'm gonna tell you that <laughs> Amari has patience I don't <laughs> well, it wasn't, but I mean in all fairness when in that space of time I was on 
dating apps and I was, you know, trying to meet other people and trying to have like trying to replicate some type of success and like, um, you know, make those connections. And I feel like that's just something that I don't know. I don't know if it's our generation or whatever, but I feel like sometimes it really is hard to like make real deep connections with people, especially people who don't want that. And by the time you figure out that they don't want it, you're like several months or a few weeks in. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were many times where I was like, hmm, maybe I should get a matchmaker. Uh, I'll save my money and do it. But um, I'm curious, like, when, how do you, like, one, for you as a matchmaker, how do you get clients in the first place? And then, like, how do you even go about, like, finding matches for for your clients? Like, is there, do you just, like, search, I don't know, search the web and find potentials? Or is it just, like, or, like, earlier you're saying you have, like, a network of, like, of people that you can reach out to? Great question. So, um, so where do I start? Cause you said, you said a couple things, girl. Yeah, sorry. I uh, had a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> so how do I find my clients? So I've been very, very fortunate to have worked in this industry for a long time that, um, I'm one of the top black matchmakers in the nation. So, um, so thankfully people find me through Google um, or through referrals from other matchmakers or, or their friends. Um, so I'm in a position where I don't actually have to find my clients right now. So it's a wonderful place to be in because it was not like that a couple of years ago. But, um, but yeah, so that happens to be how I find them. But in terms of singles themselves, so I have a recruitment team that works with me um, and my recruitment team is kind of like a headhunting group of people who find singles for clients. So that's all they do every day is they find people. Um, but I also work on recruitment myself. Um, just a short story. I also have a background in casting. So um, through my years of working in matchmaking, um, I've worked on a lot of TV shows and I've learned how to actually effectively do outreach for people. So, um, so thankfully with my team and myself, we use a lot of our skills to find people through various mediums, but one of the more popular ways in which we find people is through LinkedIn. So for those That's of you- That's so funny because like actually in my mind, I was thinking like that was the first place I would scroll. Yeah. So I think it's funny that it actually- I will happens. say it's taken me a lot of years to figure out how to use it. <laughs> the most effective way, because it's, it's not set up for dating. Um, but uh, LinkedIn happens to be one of the, the platforms that I use quite a bit for outsourcing or outreaching, I guess you could say. And then um, next would be referrals. So I get a lot of referrals through other clients, other matchmakers. We do work together quite a bit, especially in black matchmaking. Um, we're a very small group. There's probably less than 20 of us um, across the US, maybe even 10 or, or less. And so we do a lot of cross matching, if that makes sense. It's kind of like working with each other with their network. So we, it's kind of like an extended network of the network. So, um, so that happens to be how I find people and um, they go through a screening process regardless of how they're found or how they're connected um, just to make sure that they're on, on par with what our clients are looking for. But that I would say is like the top ways in which I find people. What are you searching for on LinkedIn? Like how, like, what do you even type in the search bar? Like lawyer, like, I don't know. 
depends. It depends on what we're looking for. So mm-hmm. actually before um, this today, I was on LinkedIn and I happened to be looking for attorneys uh, because my client actually is uh, an artist manager. She actually uh, managed this really well-known hip hop artist. And so a lot of the people that I've been targeting for her have been people in the industry just because her lifestyle is kind of crazy. I'm looking for people who can fit with where she's at. So, um, so it really depends on what the clients are looking for as, you know, if that makes sense. So like whatever the target focus is, is if I'm on LinkedIn will be dependent upon what the client is seeking. So in this case, as I mentioned, my clients and artist manager, I'm looking for people in the industry that will be, you know, ultimately what I'm targeting, but a different client might require something completely different. And so we're searching based on her needs. And do you ever just like go, like you're going to the grocery store and you see a really attractive man and you're like in a suit, do you ever just go to him and be like, do you want to be added to my database? Or like, do you, do you <laughs> stay away from regular, regular, regular people? You know what? Not now because of COVID, but, um, but back in the day, for sure. I would say like pre-COVID, it was definitely a situation where if I saw someone who I thought would be a good fit for a client, it's, it's a no brainer to reach out. Um, I think every matchmaker kind of has that instinct to tap into anybody they see that might be of interest to someone that they're working with. Um, But I find that these days, you know, I've had to adapt with the changing times of COVID safety and having to rely on connecting with people digitally has been um, the best way. Also, are most of your, so I know you said 95% of your clients are Black women, but are most of your, like, or almost all of your, um, the people that you match them with black or does it depend on the person? Depends on the person, but I could say pretty solidly, uh, most every one of my clients want black men. Um, If I'm working with a black female uh, that prefers men and is not part of the LGBTQ plus community. So, um, so yeah, so it's interesting because I myself, I am in an interracial relationship. um, And so my opinions on dating outside your race is that I think it's a beautiful thing, um, but I don't push my agenda on any one individual client because look, at the end of the day, I'm not the one that's gonna sleep with them. So you gotta be happy with it. Um, And so if that's not for you, it's not my place to push it on you, but I do, highly suggest um, to my clients to consider it at least, because I think if we look at the numbers of black professionals, we women are just killing the game and and our male counterparts are not. um, Unfortunately, because of systematic racism and all of the other things that, you know, happen to us as black people in America. So we have to really think about um, the family structure if, if that's something that we want or desire, but, um, but I understand and respect wholeheartedly that um, for many of my clients, having the black family structure is something that's really important to them. I feel like you touched on some, a lot of things that we usually talk about. Like, yeah. I, I feel like we're constantly, especially me and Kia, we're the, the single beans in the group. I feel mm-hmm. like we're constantly I was just there with y'all. You were, Shut up, Amari. Amari. you were, you were, Amari's you were like, just there. Come on now. You ain't gang. <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely something that we constantly touch on, a huge issue that I'm finding as a young Black professional working in media who's doing the things I am 
constantly finding myself being approached by men who are not in the same tax bracket as me or do not have, you know, the job title, the things, mm-hmm. and they're typically black men. So it's, it's been like a huge pain point for me. So I guess it's something that a lot of black women are struggling with. Yeah. Which- I think it's a pain point predominantly because, and I think the older you get, the more you see it. Um, I know for myself and recognizing, like, I didn't personally go and decide to marry somebody outside. My husband's Puerto Rican. Um, so I didn't necessarily go, okay, yeah, in my right mind, I'm going to marry someone Latino. I just fell in love with someone. Um, and I think that for a lot of us, when we are young, we don't necessarily see the system set up the way that it's been set up. Um, especially if we desire, um, you know, our counterparts, our black counterparts, we don't necessarily see the injustices quite the same way until we get a little bit older and we recognize like, oh, there's a kind of a shortage of us out here, you know, black men who are professional and, and then we see why that is. So, um, so I do see this as being, um, a huge pain point for so many women who really want to model their lives, like their families, like what they grew up with, you know, their parents and their grandparents. And that is a a wonderful thing to want. And I think the realities, the harsh realities of dating in general is that what our parents and grandparents had is not quite the same picture anymore. And having to change our dream is a really hard pill to swallow for many. Damn. Damn. Wait, why do you think it's so different though? Is it just the injustices that you said? Are they getting worse over time and that's preventing us? I'm glad you're saying this too, because I feel like when us three talk about stuff like this, people think we're crazy or like that we're, we don't know where we're coming from. And we're like, no, or just, I or swear we're just it's true. Bitter. But yeah. I think, yeah. But I think it's also probably like, um, not just, I mean, the injustices are always there, but I think like, I think we just have an, maybe a more, a like I think we're more aware of them but also I think like we also come from I think people our age now are pushing things back a little so it's like the family can come later the job can come first I don't know if that's like it's a little bit of everything Mm -hmm. right because if you think about you in your 20s you know like for a lot of black women in our 20s we are very accomplished very early on so if we think about our counterparts most so the men our age are not really in the same place. They're still trying to find themselves. They're still, you know, sowing their wild oats, doing stuff, um, cutting up, acting a fool. <laughs> I saw you, Janae, rolling your eyes <laughs> because that's kind of where they're at. Um, but but because we tend to be more driven and focused on our goals, just out the gate. And this is not to say that black men are not. I'm not I don't want anybody coming for me because I recognize that there are men that do have it together. But um but I also see that when you think about incarceration, when we think about policing in America, we think about, you know, cops killing us for real. You know, they're taking a lot of us out of the out the race. So how can you find a partner when our numbers are going down? So that is a real reality. And um, when you're thinking about dating and love and matchmaking and just all of it, 
just recognize that the numbers are just not there. And it's not any one of our fault, you know, it is the system. And so it's about trying to navigate around all of these little landmines that are set up for us as black people and how those landmines are set up in all facets of our life. And dating is definitely one of them. Uh, yeah, this just got dark and depressing. No, it's real though. It's, it's real. real it's real because a big thought that I have is that's definitely been something that I've been swallowing and trying to adjust and shift to. And on the flip side, it seems like you have to deal with other races not necessarily wanting to date black women. So it's a double-edged sword where it's like, okay, financially I might be more stable than my male counterparts. And I want the white picket fence and the two-parent household, what what I saw modeled, like you said. But then it's like, okay, so let me try to date outside my race, but outside of my race might not be open to dating outside of their race or specifically black women. So it's it's tricky. Tricky. It, is. it feels it tricky. Is, it is really, really tricky. A couple of years ago, um, I don't remember what app or what platform did this study. And this study mentioned, and for anybody listening, you guys can Google it. It's pretty easy to find. But um, one of the websites said that Black women were like the okay, least desirable. It. Was it okay, Cupid? 2014. Yeah, we, okay, Cupid. About this. Yep. We know <laughs> well, it. We know it. We know and our stats here. <laughs> I hear you, ladies. And so, so when you look at that, that is not a made up thing. That is, that's actually reflected in how people, what their experiences are in the dating landscape, even though there are many who are open to dating outside of their race, there is a group who do not like us as much as we'd be willing to accept them. So so you are kind of playing a little bit of a, a game or a balancing act between what your desires are and what's actually available. And I think that that's, again, going back to an earlier question about like the difficulties, that is the difficulty as well, is having to deal with what actually exists, the pool that's actually out there versus the one we ideate. Yeah. Um, Jasmine, I know it's eight o'clock. We have three more questions for you. Oh, take we'll, try to get, we'll try to no get rush. this quick. Um, I know. Okay. So we talked about matchmaking and you have mentioned that you're, you know, it's a little pricey. So would you like to give us like the average price that clients are paying for you to match? And also what is like an option for like people who are just like middle-class and they like can't afford a matchmaker? <laughs> So I could say that uh, for for working with me, um, and I actually learned today before I talked to you ladies that my I have a colleague who's like charging eighty five thousand dollars. I'm like, whoa, not there. <laughs> I fully just you clutched guys are my clutching your pearls. pearls. That was I me. <laughs> clutched more than a year's salary. I think if you got money like that, you don't need to matter. That is not my fee. I just want to. State. That is not my fee. I was shocked to know that there are people who are charging that, but that's not me. Um, but mine is, uh, I start at 10,000, uh, which is still a lot for, uh, for many singles. So um, most of my clients are somewhere between like the 10 to 20 range, depending on the person, um, which is, in my view, is kind of like the medium to low range of matchmakers. I do know some other colleagues that will probably be around five, but that is 
pretty standard for matchmakers because matchmaking is a very extensive process. It is a full-time job. So if we think about like you quitting your job today to go and find somebody for yourself, like all the hours it would take, all of that, you know, you have to be compensated for that. So that's essentially what that is. But for someone who can't afford matchmakers, um, I've seen many different services that offer coaching and support for people, but it depends on what you need. So some singles might need assistance with navigating online. So there are services that will actually manage your online dating life. Um, and it's a lower cost fee you know, for you to do. And if that's something you wanna do, or maybe even have a friend who can take it on for you, who's willing to take one for the team to manage that's obviously a choice. Um, I think coaching is a really good avenue. Some coaches pay by the hour. Some are um, a flat rate for a number of sessions. It just depends on the person. But there's all these different ways in which people can connect in an organic way. One of the things that I started doing uh, recently this year was a service called the Cartier Life. That's kind of a mix between like, coaching and like do it yourself, like learning style stuff. And it's a smaller fee, it's like $40 a month uh, where people can go on and get the support without actually having to pay a large fee. So there's, there's a lot of different things that people can tap into. It just takes a little bit of work on Google. But the 10,000, what does that entail? Like how long do they have you? Do they have like three months to get you or like until they find a match, like what's the time frame of that? Like your price of 10 to 20K? Yeah, so it depends. So some clients I might work with for six months, some a year. Um, each client is dependent on, or at least the fee and the length of term, I should say that instead, is based on the location of the client, their age specifically, because some people in a certain age bracket require a little bit more time. Um, if you are in your 20s and your 30s, and I'm just gonna say this for you guys as well, because I recognize the struggle's real and the time can feel like it's not on your side, but when you're in your 20s and your 30s, you're probably in the best time in your dating life because the options for you are really good in terms of 20 somethings, 30 something, even if you prefer an older guy, even early 40s. So um, so a client like that will command a lower fee because they're kind of in a nice little bucket of, of options where someone who's a little bit older, maybe in their 40s or 50s, their pool gets a little bit smaller the, the older they get. So, um, so that is kind of how the fee is structured in the length of term, but it's like us working together for as long as we can um, or however long that, that term is set and being provided as many matches as we can fit in that timeline. Do you have any horror stories or just people that were difficult to work with or of bad dates? Luckily, I don't have any terrible horror stories. Um, I learned over the years to do my vetting. <laughs> There's a lot that you can learn about people from an initial conversation. So I, I try to avoid bad clients as much as, I, as much as I can, but I recognize that there's just some things that come up that you just can't foresee. Um, I, I don't have any stories about clients that have been terrible. I mean, I've had clients that weren't very nice, people I've had to fire. I mean, I think anybody in business has had a person that they didn't vibe with. Um, but I will say there was one client in particular, a male client actually, 
um, a really attractive male client, which was even more surprising this situation. But um, he actually was doing some really strange things with social media. So one day I ended up um, posting something as most people do on Twitter. They post little quotes, they post little sayings and stuff. And this client, I don't know what he was thinking, but he thought I was targeting him in the posts. And so he was screenshotting. He started to screenshot my, my um, Twitter posts and he would send me an email and say like, why don't you just come out and tell me how you really feel? And I was like, okay, this is very odd. Um, and so he did it on a couple of, of posts and it just got really uncomfortable and weird. Again, he was really attractive actually. <laughs> um, and I had to let him go. I had to fire him because it became more of a safety issue. And I thought he was becoming a little unstable um, and we parted ways. And I would say that's probably the worst experience I've had. Um, thankfully, I haven't had any of the matches or the clients that I've worked with be off the wall uh, because I do a really good job in trying to vet people. Uh, so he was the worst. Damn. So when that's you terrible. vet people, do you just like, are you straight up like, hey, you're too difficult to work with? Or, or like, how do you like navigate that because you also have a business and you know you need clients to make money but how often are there like people where you're just like straight up no oh like, yeah often like just today oh, wow. <laughs> no it's quite it happens quite a bit I think that one of um the downsides of working with people who are very high powered and very successful is the personalities that come with that so, you know, you're dealing with people who expect, and big keyword, expect the expectations they have about the communication, how things are managed, just the flow of everything. Some people have a hard time with letting somebody else be in charge. And so, you know, I've had many instances over time where I've had to say no to someone who wanted to work with me. Um, just because I felt like our personalities don't fit. But what I have learned in this business is that I don't like to burn bridges, even though I might not want to work with someone. Um, the way in which I communicate that will always be uh, professional because I never know when these people resurface. Believe it or not, I've had people you know, reach out to me six years ago and they come back. So you just never know or where they're connected. So I always try to do my best to be as um, articulate as possible to let them know that I don't appreciate what they're giving me, but also respectful of them as human beings because, you know, Black people, there's only so many ways you can say stuff to us before it goes left. <laughs> So, and I'm not trying to pop off on anyone and I don't want them popping off on me. So, so yeah. Damn. Okay. Um, and just to, just to round out our, our interview, um, last question is like, how can, how can matchmaking, uh, be normalized within the black community? Hmm. Give me a hard one at the or do you think it do you think another I think it has the potential to be normalized, you know, like we like even talking about um Indian, Indian matchmaker. I think there are just certain cultures where um 
that's just a part of it or it's more common. Um, we were even talking about like my family's Jamaican and we don't necessarily have like a formal uh, matchmaker, but like a lot of parents will do the matchmaking for kids. Um, I shouldn't say or kids. like Arabic culture. So, yeah. Yeah, I will say what I have witnessed in maybe the last three to four years is normalizing matchmaking. Um, I recall, you know, starting in this business in like 2009, 2010, and really struggling with trying to find clients who saw the value of what I was bringing, uh, which is why I said at the very beginning, it was stupid of me to quit my job. <laughs> because, you know, trying to find clients who will pay you enough to live a normal life is hard, you know? And so those early years were a struggle because I work exclusively with black people. And if black people don't want, or, you know, to hire us or to see our value, then there is no business. So I have absolutely seen more in the last couple of years as more social media happening, people talking about dating and relationships. You've got real housewives, there's new men popping up every single week, people are matching up each other's husbands. I mean, that's a whole conversation. So, so it's definitely becoming more of a standard um, that people are willing to accept and pay for. Um, I don't think that, you know, those years ago, I could even ask or utter someone to pay me my fee. You know, I get a lot of side eyes and, you know, goodbyes. <laughs> but now, you know, I definitely have more people who are interested, able and willing to not only pay for a matchmaker, but actually listen to the expertise that we have to share. And so it's becoming more normal. I definitely think we're a long ways away. It's kind of like us talking about mental health, right? A couple years ago, nobody was talking about mental health, <laughs> you know, and how we need to better ourselves and take time. So it's kind of the same type of thing uh, where we're starting to accept it a little bit more. It's probably going to be a couple more years because before it becomes the standard, uh, but we're getting there. Yeah. Okay. Um, wow. Okay. That's awesome. Well, if you need um, two additions to your database, me and Janae are available, not Amari, <laughs> but um, I think we're pretty good matches. <laughs> People listening are probably like, <laughs> I think you guys are too. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah. Talk about what your type is another day. Okay. 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 I'm pretty open. Um, <laughs> and I now is your moment to shamelessly plug. Um, tell listeners where they can find you, what they can do to contact you. Give the girls all the goods. All right. So I'm pretty easy to find. Um, you can find me on all social media at the Jasmine Diaz, or you can go to my website at lovebyjd.com. Um, just starting up on YouTube again. So I'm posting like videos twice a week. So please follow, subscribe. It's really hard to be out here in this YouTube streets to find subscribers. So please follow. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much available anytime, any place. So even if you have a question, I'm one of those people who likes to give advice just because. So if you guys are listening, want to know something, need help about something, just, just reach out and I'm happy to help. 
Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so Jasmine. Much. Thank you, uh, ladies. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. You can talk to us on social media at sufficientlyblk. You can email us at sufficientlyblackpodcast at gmail.com with any questions or feedback. You can listen to us anywhere you get podcasts. And don't forget to follow us so you don't miss any of our amazing new episodes. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.